Well, it's, uh, it's good to see you all this morning and uh, good to be able to look right back and uh, uh, see right to the back of the, uh, of the, of the church there. I was uh, reminded as I, I, I came to the pulpit uh, this morning or came, came to the front this morning, uh, my wife said to me, she said, have you got your watch on? And uh, uh, Wayne uh, said to me yesterday when we were doing this uh, building, he said, you do realize that there's no, there's no clock at the, uh, for you tomorrow. Both of them with worried faces, I like to, to, to add. And uh, it, it, it reminded me of a, a little story of, a, of a, a boy who went to church with his dad. And uh, it was, I think, one of the Presbyterian churches in Scotland. And the, uh, there was, it was very traditional and there were certain things that were going on. And this little boy was quite uh, uh, animated or uh, uh, really was asking questions about about what was going on in the church. And as the service progressed, he said, Dad, what, what's happening now? And uh, what's happening now? And his dad was telling him. And uh, as, as the preacher came up into the pulpit, uh, he was accompanied by the, by the deacons because in the Church of Scotland, that was a tradition that the, the deacons accompanied the preacher up to the pulpit. And he said, Dad, what's happening? He said, oh, the, the preacher's being accompanied to the, into the pulpit by the by the deacons, and he said, all right. And then he, the preacher got into the pulpit and uh, he very um, formally took his watch off and he placed it on the pulpit there. And a little boy said, Dad, he said, What's the, what, what does that mean? The preacher putting his watch on the pulpit and his dad shook his head. He said, nothing, son, absolutely <laughs> So there we are. So, <laughs> so there we go. Let's hope that uh, we uh, we have a timely ministry this morning. So I want to uh, I want to draw your attention this morning to the first uh, epistle or first letter that Paul writes to Timothy, and uh, we began looking at this. Uh, uh, a few weeks ago, we, we began looking at it a couple of times, and uh, we're still in the uh, first chapter, of course, and we're actually looking particularly at uh, verse 2 this morning in chapter 1. But let's read together down a little bit so that we get uh, the context of this wonderful letter that Paul is writing to Timothy. So First Timothy chapter 1, I'm going to read from verse 1 down as far as verse 11. Where we read, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our Saviour, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, Stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. 
They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they are so confidently affirming. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreaker and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for adulterers, for perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his precious word this morning. So here Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy is the pastor of the church in Ephesus. It's a church or it's a, it's a, a place, Ephesus itself, of about a quarter of a million people. It's the centre of, uh, it's just on a central trade route, and therefore there are all, all kinds of ideas and philosophies and religious uh, teachings that are coming through. These uh, various merchants are uh, bringing in all these new ideas and teachings on top of the main uh, cult worship in Ephesus, which was the worship of uh, Diana or Artemis, the goddess of the Ephesians. So there at Ephesus you have uh, the, the main worship of Diana, the goddess of the Ephesians. You have emperor worship, which is uh, uh, throughout the Roman Empire. But also together with that you have uh, the worship or, or the involvement of various Greek philosophies, you have uh, magic cults, you have all kinds of ideas. And that is a background of uh, what is happening in Ephesus. And, and, and Timothy, the young pastor there, is having to manage all of these ideas and uh, that, are, that are coming into the church, or people are bringing them in to the church. They're the baggage that people are bringing into the church. So he's got a big job on uh, there in the church at Ephesus. He's still, he's still a young man. And Paul writes to encourage him and to instruct Timothy on managing all of these ideas, all of these heresies, all these attitudes uh, that threaten the, the, the church. And uh, Paul begins, as we saw, if you've been able to join us in recent weeks, he begins by stating the authenticity and the authority of this letter he said this is me writing Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God it's a, a letter that's got authority it was no ordinary letter that Paul writes although it takes the form particularly at the beginning here of um, customary greeting and this was a customary uh, type of introduction to a letter that anybody would write it's no ordinary letter even though it is done in this style it's much more than that it is a letter that is God-breathed uh, Theonoustos as the Apostle Paul puts it all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching correction and training in righteousness the whole of this letter is not just a letter none of it is by chance, even the introduction, it's all meant, it's all ordained by God, it's, it's all uh, theonoustos, it's all God-breathed. It's a letter that will strengthen Timothy, 
It will strengthen his hand in dealing with the important issues at Ephesus. And it will also be useful in instructing the church that this letter is in its entirety the command of God. Take note, the Apostle Paul says right from the beginning, take note of this letter, take note not to forget about it or to leave it out or to jump over certain passages because you may not like it. This is a letter that has the full authority of the command of God. And as we go through this letter, we will find there are things that uh, don't go down well in society today. They don't go down well in some of the churches today. But it is by the command of God and it is fully ordained and it is God-breathed. Now Paul writes here in this second verse, he says to Timothy, my true son in the faith, it's a warm greeting, it's a confident greeting, and of course initially it's a greeting for Timothy himself, it's for Timothy's benefit. But it's also a testimony and an endorsement of Timothy for the benefit of the church at Ephesus who will read this letter in due course and it confirms Timothy's authority and uh, 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 as a young pastor of the church. Now the name Timothy is interesting, it's, the name Timothy means one who honours God and it was given him by his godly mother, we must assume Eunice and probably encouraged too by his grandmother uh, Lois because they were Christians and they represented the many prayers and patient teaching that was given to Timothy as a youngster before they heard about Jesus they were godly uh, they were godly women and uh, when they heard of the gospel and when they uh, uh, heard about Jesus and accepted Jesus, then they became godly Christian women. Second Timothy chapter 1, he, uh, Paul reminds Timothy of the debt that he owes to his grandmother and to his mother. And uh, note what he says here. I said, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Paul is sometimes portrayed as being intolerant to women because of certain things that he says. But that's far from the case. The, the Apostle Paul was a great advocate and a great, um, a, a, a great admirer of women and of their ministries. And uh, he was uh, promoting the roles of women in churches, as we shall see as we move into this letter he acknowledges Eunice, he acknowledges Lois. If you look at the, for example, in the Roman epistle, you, you see the end of the epistle there as he, uh, as he gives credit, if you like. He, he, he mentions in dispatches, we might like to say, uh, a great number of people. And amongst them, are, there are a significant number of women 
who are, have been significant and so valuable and needful in, in the churches and he honours them. And I have a little verse, we'll come, maybe come back to it at the end, he, he, at the, one of the verses in chapter 16 and, and, and verse 13. He says he, says, he, he wants uh, to acknowledge uh, uh, Rufus's mother. Rufus's mother and he said something beautiful he said uh, she was a mother to me as well she was she was a mother to me and uh, how lovely that is that the apostle Paul and in all his uh, authority and in all the all the work that he was doing he said uh, I, I needed a mum you know and and and, and Rufus Rufus's mum was a, was a, was a mum to me and I, I think that's beautiful. So don't ever feel that uh, the Apostle Paul is down on women. He promotes women. He promotes their ministries, as we shall see as we move into this, uh, uh, this letter uh, further on. Now, Acts chapter 16 and verse 1, we read this. Paul uh, uh, came to Derb. We read in chapter 16 there. Paul came to Derb and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived. This is the Timothy, whose mother was a Jew, was a Jewish and a believer, but whose father was Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So Timothy had... Uh, uh, a godly mother, he had a godly grandmother, but his father was a Greek. He Clearly the father wasn't a believer. Uh, whether his father was alive or not, we don't know. Whether his father was living at home or not. His, his dad may have been a good dad otherwise, but he certainly wasn't a believer. and He didn't, he didn't feel uh, that uh, need that, that Timothy had. And there may, may even have been a, a clash of cultures there between the dad and the mum and the children in the family. Dad might have wanted Timothy to, to follow the Greek tradition, but he followed his uh, mum. There may have been some conflict, but uh, Eunice faced those uh, issues um, in the way that uh, mums do when they're Christian mums, and uh, she worked through that. But it may have been difficult for Timothy. It may have been difficult for Eunice at that time. Now, some people may consider that Timothy was actually at a, a disadvantage having a, a Greek father without the pedigree that the Apostle Paul had. For example, he had, he had uh, Jewish parents who, uh, who brought him up in the Jewish traditions, in the biblical traditions, and he went to Sunday school or the equivalent. He went to church or the, the synagogue, and uh, he was brought up in all of that wonderful uh, background, the biblical background. And Timothy, although he would have been brought up uh, by his mum and his gran and encouraged by his mum, might, people might have thought that was a disadvantage. But Timothy's upbringing and his lifestyle was part of God's plan. If Timothy was at any disadvantage indeed through this earthly biological father, we find that God <coughs> makes it up to Timothy in the provision of a spiritual father in the Apostle Paul. Now there are some speculations about Paul and about whether the Apostle Paul was married or not. And uh, some theologians, they like to debate the possibility of whether Paul was uh, 
was married or not, but there's no evidence that he was married at all. Uh, some suggest that because he was of the rabbinic tradition that it was a requirement of the rabbinic tradition to be married. We, you may have heard that argument, but it, it seems clear that certainly at this stage and everything we know about the Apostle Paul, that, that he is not married. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, for example, in verse 3 we read, this is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me, says Paul. He's answering criticism. Uh, don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? So we say, don't we have that right? Well, if Paul did have a wife, it would surely have been inconsistent for him to advise others to care and provide for their wives if he did not provide for his own wife in that same way. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul has a lot to say about husbands and wives. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle and or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Uh, he who loves his wife loves himself. So Paul is saying, look, if you've got a wife, she's precious. If you've got a wife, she should be there with you. He says, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must also respect her husband. So he's saying here, you know, if you've got a wife, it's someone who's precious and take care of her and have her with you and don't sort of be, be, be separate uh, from her. Peter, who we know was married and did have a wife and she did go along with him, instructs husbands in 1 Peter 3.7. He says, husbands in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as a weaker partner and as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life. So if Paul had a wife, he would certainly be taking that sort of advice on himself when it seems that he didn't have a wife. Indeed, Paul actually uh, talks about his gifting as being celibate. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in verse 3, we read this, Husbands should fulfill, a husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise, uh, the wife to a husband. They're talking about relationships and saying, you know, you, you shouldn't be separate. You, you shouldn't be living like, uh, uh, in some sort of monastic traditions. And there was a lot of asceticism being taught in the churches. It was here at Ephesus and were other churches where people were becoming Christians and, and, and somebody was saying, oh, well, you, you know, you shouldn't have relationships anymore you should be holy and you know live monastic type of life Paul said that is not what God wants that is completely contrary to the word of God you should love your partner you should cherish your partner you should be together this is what the apostle Paul says but he says also in verse 7 there he says I wish that all of you were as I am but each of you has your own gift from God one has a gift another has that gift and he's talking about 
uh, celibacy. He's talking about the fact that he has this gifting of celibacy where he does not need to have uh, a wife. And he acknowledges it as being something that is unusual and something that is a gifting, something that is, is not usual. So Paul had relatives, of course, who were Christians. We read that in Acts chapter 16 and verse 7, for example, he, he speaks of relatives, of people who seem to be relatives. We read of Andronicus and Junia, who were in Christ before me, says Paul. They were relatives of the Apostle Paul. Paul talks about his nephew. In Acts 23, 16, we read that uh, Paul's nephew, his sister's son, uh, goes to Paul and warns Paul uh, and the Roman commander of a plot to assassinate Paul. So there are, there are Christians in the family there, but Paul does not have a wife. And Paul does not have children. And yet Paul is described here, uh, describes Timothy as his true child in the faith, bringing the needs of one to have a spiritual father and the other to have a spiritual son. Isn't that wonderful? Mm -hmm. Throughout Paul's writings, we find the heart of a father expressed by the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14, he says, I'm writing this not to shame you. He's talking and he's telling the Corinthian church people off. He says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you, Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. So that's important for us to 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 understand that Paul has this father's heart even though he isn't a, a father as such, even though he doesn't have natural children, or we've certainly never mentioned it, there's no evidence of it in Scripture, yet he has the heart of a father. And uh, that is uh, clearly portrayed, not only here, but in other passages as well. Experiencing birth, the birth of a, a physical child, of course, and seeing that child grow into maturity, seeing that child develop into the person that we hoped or prayed for, reflecting the positive characteristics of uh, the parents and, uh, and, and the, the character of the parents. That, that, that's a joy when we see that happening in our, in our natural families. But so too is the joy of a spiritual parent. A spiritual parent who is able to say about someone that they are a, a genuine child of the faith. And this was the joy that the Apostle Paul had. He didn't have natural children, but he was able to say of this young man, Timothy, he said, he's, he's my true child in the faith. Abram, later to, of course, to become Abraham. He had a father's heart, but he... Early on, of course, he didn't have any children. For nearly 100 years, he didn't have any children. He, he longed for a child, uh, a child that he could nurture, a child that he could inspire, 
a child that he could leave his legacy for. In, in Genesis chapter 15, we, we see the heart-rending uh, need of Abraham in his heart as he speaks to God. He says, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, you have given me no children, so a servant of my household will be my heir. You see, he had a, he had a, he, he didn't want just to disappear. He didn't want his estate to disappear. He didn't want his name to disappear. He wanted his life to mean something. And Paul was no different. If our, if our lives are, if our lives are worth anything, if the message that we proclaim is worth anything, and it is, if it's worth replicating, then it, we, we, we need others to be able to take up the baton and to, <laughs> and, and to carry on the work. We need to have those who are spiritual children, whether they are natural children anyway, or whether they're just spiritual children that we, 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 we have uh, had input into their lives. We, we need people to be taking on the message that we have to proclaim. Because none of us are here forever and we recognize as we get older that our days are numbered and we're wanting more and more to, to feed into other lives the glorious message of the gospel. You know, I, I, as a preacher, as a pastor, I, I, I continue looking around to encourage other young men to take up the ministry, to take up in whatever form it takes. I, I, I look at young women, I want them to, to take on the, the ministries that God uh, gives them and, and, and to, to, to replicate, to replicate and to, to carry on so that the, 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 the word of God goes on. So this church continues to grow and grow and grow until Jesus comes. And we need to be doing that. It's not just it's not just me. It's it's all of us. As uh, and particularly, might I say, to those who are older and, and mature, and you've been on the Christian journey, that uh, God is looking for Christian parents. He's looking for, for for spiritual parents who can help and encourage and inspire. Whatever your ministry is, whatever the ministry you have from God, don't let it die with you don't let it disappear with you make sure that somebody else is going to carry it on if you're a Sunday school teacher make sure it's carried on if you're a youth worker make sure it's carried on if whatever ministry you have if you're in an admin in the church if whatever ministry you have make sure it's carried on look for people around you who you can encourage and inspire to carry the work on Amen. Amen. Paul explains the role of a Christian father here uh, in uh, talking mainly about natural fathers, but of course he was also relating it to spiritual fathers. In Ephesians chapter 6 we read, Fathers, do not exasperate, do not provoke your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Don't, don't limit them, <coughs> says the Apostle Paul. Uh, don't don't make them feel frustrated. Don't don't let them don't let them feel that they're just being hemmed in. When when uh, as a spiritual father, as a natural father, encourage and inspire your children. Uh, don't overprotect them. You know, some dads they they 
They overprotect their kids, or some parents overprotect their kids. They never let them do anything. They never let them make mistakes. They they just want to mollycoddle them and, and and keep them down. And the and the children get frustrated with that. They say, "Oh, Dad, well, I can't go here and I can't do that." And I've known that to Christian parents in particular. And I and I know the reason has been a good one. They don't want them to to go out into the world. And they don't want them to to mingle with all the evil that's out there. I understand that. But kids have got to learn to stand on their own two feet. And therefore, we need to be careful that we don't mollycoddle children and young people and and even even at a spiritual level you know don't 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 make people feel exasperated and the other thing don't don't you know if you give them a license or you give them rope as it were then, then don't don't criticize them over criticize them don't don't expect too much of them too soon you know, as parents, we need we need a balance between allowing our kids to to do stuff and get it wrong, and and not not uh, sort of treating them as if they should have got it right the first time, not e- expecting them to do too much the first time. Don't don't exasperate your children, says Paul. He's talking on the physical level, the natural level, the biological level. Dads, don't exasperate your children. But he's also speaking on the spiritual level. To the spiritual dads, don't exasperate, don't mollycoddle them in the ministry and don't expect too much of them too soon. Secondly, the the Bible tells us, Paul tells us about the provision that we need to make uh, as responsible parents. Puts 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 8, we'll come to it in this epistle later on. Anyone who does not provide for his relatives and especially for his own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Parents need to provide for their children. They need to be the ones who look after their children. They need to be the ones who take responsibility for their children. And God is looking for Spiritual parents are prepared to do that and take people under their wing, take the young folk, younger folk under their wing. Doesn't always have to be young folk. Some some older people, you know, they're missing their dad. And and, and they say, Oh, if only my dad was still here. You know, well, well, God wants to look after those needs. And, you know, you can find a spiritual dad sometimes in church and, and you know, someone who can just fill the bit of that gap for you. Not, not going to fill the gap of natural dad. I understand that. But fill some of those needs so that you don't feel so alone. Don't feel alone. In this church, don't feel alone. If you're saying in your heart, oh, I miss my dad. I wish my dad was here. I wish my mum was here. You know, I haven't got to feel that way because God wants to provide that need in, in the sense of spiritual, in, in spiritual parents. The third thing that spiritual dads, <coughs> spiritual mums as well, never, always do, they never give up. They never give up. And uh, Luke's Gospel in chapter 15, Jesus tells that wonderful story of the parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal son goes off and does his own thing. People in this church, young people, are going to go off and do their own thing sometimes. They're going to backslide. They're going to drift off into the world. They're going to make mistakes. We all did. We all did it, didn't we? And they're going to do that. But the fact of the matter is that the father was waiting for this kid. That when this kid uh, suddenly came, or one day came to his senses, after he'd done all, all that in all his arrogance, in all it, uh, he went and spent all his money and did his own thing and 
you know, thought his dad didn't know anything at all. One day he comes back. He comes back. And he's, the Bible says here he set out to go back to, to his father and to say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. You see, fathers never give up. You know, sometimes we, we feel almost like that sometimes. We feel almost, you know, that, that kid's never come back. That kid will never, never return. But we never give up. And spiritual dads never give up. Spiritual mums never give up. We always keep praying. There are people that have been in this church, and they're not here now, but you have an input into their lives. And you've, you, 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 at one stage, they listen to you. Keep praying for them. Spiritual dads, spiritual mums never give up. And fourthly, of course, we, as we expect, they pray. 2 Timothy 1.3, we read it earlier. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clean conscience, says Paul, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayer. Constantly remember you in my prayers. You see, Paul understood and he accepted with patience the various stages of Christian development. In 1 Corinthians 3, he, talking to the Corinthians, he was frustrated with the way they were behaving. They were still so carnal. But he says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food. For you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling amongst you, are you not worldly? The Corinthians, they caused Paul to pull the few remaining hairs that he had in his head out. They stumbled and they fell over and he lifted them up and he helped them back onto their feet until they could stand just like a natural dad with his, does with his kids. Because that's what dads do. They keep picking people up and they keep working with them and they keep praying for them and they keep developing them and they keep doing all the things that God would have us to do with our kids because that is what dads do. And the other thing that we need to be clear about is that fathers need to be relevant. They need to be relevant. Natural fathers need to be relevant to their kids. Spiritual fathers need to be relevant to their kids. And I want you to notice that when Paul talks to Timothy, he doesn't talk in simpering terms, in mamby-pamby terms. He, he talks in manly terms. That's something that the world doesn't even want to acknowledge sometimes, the idea of manly terms. But when Paul speaks to Timothy, he speaks at a level that Timothy understands. Timothy is a young man, and Paul talks to Timothy as a, a man who understands what it is to be a young man. He talks to Timothy about being a farmer. He talks about to Timothy about being an athlete. He talks to Timothy about being a soldier. Why? Because those are manly things. And Paul was a man who was interested in those things. 
you wouldn't be able to describe what it was to be a, a Roman soldier and give all the details of the Roman uniform unless you were interested in it. And Paul was interested in the military. Some people looking on the shelves in my study sometimes say, well, you, you've got a lot of military books on there, right? Why? Because I'm interested in the military. Because the Bible is interested in the military. You've got some fantastic military stories there in the Bible. You've got some fantastic soldiers in the Bible. You've got David. You've got Saul. You've got a lot of... Uh, in, uh, soldiers there. You've got Caleb who who, who conducted the, the first Israeli Special Forces operation in into Canaan. You know, I mean that is that is that, that is boys' own stuff. But but they did it, and we need to understand that the Bible isn't for the the, the wimps. It's for for people who, who who are men and people who are real men and real women in in our churches. And when Paul speaks to Timothy, he he uses a language that Timothy could could understand. And, and you know, I I think back to the years in this church when I was growing up here. Uh, and, and in the youth group, and uh, some of you will know Don Crawford, some of you won't uh, uh, won't have, uh, have met him. But uh, for those who know Don, you know, as a youth leader, he was a fantastic youth leader, and he was a spiritual father to me because he he was the one. You know, my mum was a wonderful mum, and and she taught about the gospel. My gran was a wonderful gran, and she taught me about the gospel. But my dad didn't. You know, and uh, and my granddad was a lovely godly man, but he never spoke about about the gospel to me either. But um, but Don Crawford, he became like a spiritual father to me. But you know, Don Crawford could relate to young men and young women. He could relate to to what it was to be a young man. He was an adventurous guy. Pat Crawford told me of the time when uh, she was. Uh, pleasantly or otherwise surprised when Don Crawford arrived home with a long wheelbase 2A Land Rover and uh, she looked at this tank and I, this, this vehicle and she said, she said to me, she said, it looked like a tank, you know, and, and she said, what did you buy this for? Why did you, you buy this, this long wheelbase Land Rover, but for us as a youth group, it was the most amazing machine. You could get so many kids in it, it was like a sardine can. And, and, and we used to go everywhere in this thing, and it would go everywhere. You know, there was nowhere this, this vehicle couldn't go. Because, you see, Don understood what it was for young men to, to have adventure and to enjoy adventure. Many years later, many years later, uh, my wife was pleasantly surprised. One day I arrived home with a serious 2A long wheelbase Land Rover. <laughs> and she was as pleasantly surprised as Pam, Pat Crawford was uh, when Don arrived home with his Land Rover. Why? Because Don was my, uh, my hero. And he could relate. And he talked about he talked about the gospel in a way that I could relate to as a young man. And he was such a wonderful spiritual father. And I'm sure that, uh, I'm sure that Wayne and, 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 and Raj, they could relate very much of that too. But you see, we need to be able to relate, you know, someone who, who doesn't understand those things, someone who expects you to just simply to, to be in church and to do churchy things and that. They, they don't relate. Let's make sure as uh, uh, as spiritual parents whether it's a spiritual father or a spiritual mother that we live in the real world 
and that we can relate in a real way to our spiritual children. Paul describes Timothy as my true gnosis. That's a Greek word meaning legitimate child son. He was genuine Christian. Uh, the circumstances of his conversion, actually, we don't know the actual details, but it would seem that fairly clear that he was greatly influenced by Paul's visit uh, to Lister on that first missionary journey um, where a lame man was healed and uh, they were acclaimed as gods, the, uh, the him and Barnabas, and uh, uh, he preached the gospel there. When Paul returns on the second missionary journey, he chose Timothy as his companion. Timothy became Paul's disciple and co-worker, remaining uh, in Berea uh, with Silas. We read in Acts chapter 17, 13 to 15. He was sent to Macedonia in Acts chapter 19 to 22. He went on to Corinth in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 17 we read. He went to Thessalonica. First uh, Thessalonians 3 2, we discover he went to Philippi. Uh, in uh, We read in 2 Philipp uh, Philippines chapter 2, verse 19. And now he goes to Ephesus. He had a, he had a very rounded uh, ministry. He had, a, he had a, a great understanding of the various churches and uh, uh, it, before he actually became the pastor of Ephesus. The term son, the other term that I just want to share briefly, is the word technon. It indicates Paul's involvement in Timothy's conversion, nurturing and witnessing the birth and the development of the child into maturity. And how important it is that you know, we can be confident as spiritual parents that the children are genuine. You know, you know, sometimes in a natural realm, someone will say, well, I know that that's your son because they be behave like that or they look like that or your daughter is definitely your daughter because they look like you or they behave like you. And sometimes, you know, if, if a kid's done something wrong, you know, someone will say, that's definitely his dad. <laughs> definitely. He's definitely his dad's son because because of the, uh, uh, you know. And, and, and that was really what Paul is, is saying here. He's saying he's definitely my spiritual son. You know, not only is he a genuine son, I'm absolutely sure that he's born again to the Spirit and the Spirit of God dwells with him, but he, he actually... His behaviour is a, he's like me. He, he's he, he's my he's my disciple, as it were, and 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 he's learned from me, and he, he may even preach like me, you know. And we find that time and time again, don't we? That you know, if you've got a spiritual father, and you may have more than one, you know, sometimes you end up you end up preaching like them and behaving like them and and whatever else, because because that's a good thing to follow, and it's a good example, a good example to take. Now, as I said and indicated earlier on, just at the beginning, was that uh, Paul also acknowledges not just spiritual fathers here, but he acknowledges spiritual mothers. Mm. Romans chapter 16, that lovely verse that we touched upon earlier. Greek Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. A special person who could tell, who could basically, she could tell him home truths that no one else could, because that's what mums can do, can't they? And here was this guy, this great apostle, but he needed a spiritual mum. And Rufus's mum 
fulfilled that responsibility. It wasn't, it wasn't just about taking care of his physical needs either. It wasn't just about making sure he had enough to, to, to eat and drink. It wasn't just about telling him to change his socks, if you wear socks with sandals. <laughs> but, but, we, but we won't go into that today. Um, but, you know, it wasn't about that. It was about the fact, you know, she would say, look, look, you, you've, you're telling other people to, to, to look after themselves, but you're not looking after yourself. You, 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 you're spouting off all this spiritual teaching to other people and you're not applying it to yourself. Now, only she could do that because she was his spiritual mum. She could tell him things that no one else could tell him. And he would respond in a way that he would not respond to anybody else. Let me tell you, do a very brief story, just in closing. I, I, most of you know I, I work in mental health, or have worked in mental health for, for many, many years. We, we had one particular guy, and he was a big guy. And he had severe mental health difficulties, but he also had a very, didn't have a nice personality. And that was separate from his mental health. And he was a nightmare to manage. He was a nightmare to manage in the community, and he was an absolute nightmare to manage on the wards in the church in the in the wards when he had to be detained under the Mental Health Act. Anyway, we the 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 ward was tearing the hair out about this guy because he just wouldn't behave himself. He was a really big guy as well. Uh, until one day, until one day they 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 had a review, or his mum phones the ward. And they invite his mum in uh, to, to for the review, and they tell his mum how he's been behaving. And he, his mum's little, and, and he's up here. And, and she takes him to the side, and she says, "You behave yourself." She said, "And if I have to come down, don't make don't, don't make me have to come down here again." And after that, he was calm and placid. But, you know, occasionally he would get aggravated again. He'd start getting uh, bullshit again. And we would say, well, you know, I think we'll have a review. We'll get mum in. <laughs> and he said, no, no, please don't, don't get mum in. Please, no, I'll, be, I'll behave myself. Don't, don't get mum in. Because, you see, that's what, that's what mums do. That's the power that mums have. Now, that's the power that a physical mum, a biological mum can have. But that's also the power that a spiritual mum can have. You can have a, a you can get into people's hearts and into people's lives a way that many other people can't. You see, our country, our nation, our culture, our uh, this neighbourhood, we we need spiritual mums and we need spiritual dads. There are loads of biological mums and dads out there mm. who have no spiritual input into their kids at all mm. and they just let them you know live their own lives and they've got no interest in their spirituality at all and god needs god wants and god challenges us to look for spiritual kids who need spiritual parents to come alongside them, to, to work with them, to love them, to nurture them, uh, to earn the respect that we would, uh, need to earn in order that those kids can grow up. And sometimes the other way around, you see, Timothy needed to be a spiritual child. He needed to be humble. He needed to listen. He needed to stop thinking he knew all the answers. And he needed to say, right, I'm going to listen to the Apostle Paul. I may not always agree with everything he said, but that's my spiritual dad, and I'm going to honour him, and I'm going to listen to him. And we need to, if you're a young person here today, you need to, you need to listen, and you need to honour, you need to respect those who are 
seeking to help you. You need to you need to sift through the good stuff, but you need to have that respect because that's what the relation those relationships are about. May God bless those thoughts to our hearts this morning. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you again this morning for your word. We thank you that in a world that is so full of people who seem to have no parenting whatsoever, you offer us a way forward, a way forward to encourage and to bless our community, to bless individuals. We pray, Lord, as we look around us today and in the days ahead, that we will look to be the people you want us to be, whether it's to be spiritual kids who are listening and learning, whether it's to be spiritual parents who <coughs> come alongside and encourage and build people up in the faith. Help us to fulfill whatever our responsibility and needs may be. For we ask it for your name, for your glory and for the extension of your church. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.